And we are live. We are live. Welcome back to another episode of the Change What We Normalize podcast. This is season two. And as I told y'all at the end of season one, that I was actually bringing in special guests, um, people with amazing stories, people that I find inspiring, people that I look up to, that I've learned a lot from. And I'm super excited to bring you this evening's guest. Now, I know I said that the podcast was going to drop in July. I know. Excited, um, and I'm excited to have him on. So this is actually going to be the first episode of season two, and it's going to be live streamed. Um, it's also going to be available on every platform for YouTube and all your podcasting needs. But I'm excited about this gentleman um, because so here, here's the really quick backstory. This book, uh, The Marathon Don't Stop, The Life and Times of Nipsey Hussle. I actually came across this book. I was searching for books to read. I came across this book and my best friend is actually the individual who really put me on Nipsey Hussle. So I thought it would be a great gift to get him. So I got this book sent it over to him. And then I was like, I kind of want to read this book too. (laughs) So I ended up buying myself a copy and I just dove right into it and I couldn't put it down. And um, I seen that Rob Kenner was the one who actually wrote this book. Right. And I was like, man, I have to tag this individual. If you know me on social media, if I have something, a product of yours, anything I'm supporting, I'm going to tag you in that. Um, And I tagged him. He reached back out to me. Um, We connected via social media followed each other. And um, we're here today. And I'm honored to just be with this gentleman and have his time. And just a little backstory on him, a little bit, a little bit about his background. Um, He's a writer, editor, producer. He's the founding editor of Vibe Magazine, which is huge because my dad put me on that when I was a a young boy. My dad was huge on Vibe Magazine. And he's also um, editorial director of Vibe Books, among so many other things. Like the, the list is just long. Um, but I'm excited to bring him on and have him join me in a quick conversation this evening uh, for season two of the Change What We Normalize podcast. Make sure that you share this. Make sure that you tag a friend. Uh, make sure that you like, that you comment. You can even ask questions on this this evening. I told you I have a special treat for you. So with that being said, I'm going to bring on Rob in just a second. Hey, Rob, what's going on? What's happening, Nate? It's great to be here. Hey, I'm glad to have you here, man. I'm glad to have you here this evening. Um, I'm super excited, man, to just have this conversation with you. Um, I thank you for your time, for your sacrifice to jump on and squeeze me in your busy schedule. Um, and I'm just honored to jump in, man. So for the people who don't know Rob Kenner, because if I can be honest, um, I recently just found out about you, but I did a lot of research. It was like, okay, this dude had his hands in a lot of things that I know and love, that I had no idea. Like you were really behind the scenes putting in the work. Um, So just quickly, briefly, if you want to just share who you are, um, what you do with the audience. I am a music lover and a storyteller. And uh, I've been doing it at lots of different places. I just want to say shout out to your dad for putting you onto Vibe Magazine um, (laughs) and belated happy Father's Day to him. Um, But yeah, I guess my 
entry into music journalism would be the launch of Vibe magazine in 92. I was blessed to be part of Quincy Jones's squad uh, to begin that journey. And I ended up being the only editor who started and finished, uh, you know, with the whole run. So 17 years at Vibe. Um, during that time, I edited cover stories on pretty much everyone in 90s hip-hop up through 2000s, you know, so Biggie, wow. Tupac, you know, Mary J. Blige, Puffy, we did the first profile of Puffy when he was still, you know, like an A&R at Uptown Records, um, Snoop Cover, you name it, you know, it was a, the adventure of a lifetime. Um, then in later years, uh, we did a Barack Obama cover story. Vibe was the first national publication to endorse Obama for president. Uh, and then I got involved in book publishing through Vibe. As you mentioned, uh, we did a, a few books. Um, one that you might remember is Unbelievable by Cheo Hodari Coker, which became the film Notorious. Uh, it's a biography wow. of, of Christopher Wallace. And, you know... Um, just telling stories about great musicians and great artists, great creative people. Um, and, you know, out of all the work I've done, you know, I also contributed to Complex and Mass Appeal and BET and a lot of different publications. But I can honestly say that the book which connected us, The Marathon Don't Stop, has been the most challenging and the most rewarding uh, project that I've ever taken on. And, you know, I'm really excited to be here talking with you about it tonight. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I love that you said the most challenging and the most rewarding. Can you speak to that just a little bit with the most challenging part? Well, I think Nipsey Hussle is someone who was misunderstood for most of his career. He was underrated. He was, you know, partly of his own choice. He was never um, aspiring to be the most famous artist in the world. He wanted to speak to his direct following and, you know, serve the people that really tapped in with what his movement was all about. But, you know, as I followed his career um, over a long stretch of time, we first met in 2009 when he was rolling out the Bullet Sync Got No Name mixtapes. This was in the late years of Vibe. And um, mm -hmm. I had a chance to hear that tape when I had never heard of Nipsey and was immediately impressed with him. And I said, this is going to be an important artist. And I spoke with him after the listening. And I said, you know, please keep doing what you're doing. We're going to give you all the support that we can. And, um, you know, he had a strong ambition to be featured in Vibe. I, I learned later, you know, he had been trying to get into Vibe for a long time. But he, he got that one page right up and then... Over time, uh, I think, you know, the industry just slept on him. And, mm. you know, there were, there were yeah. a lot of, um, you know, after the XXL cover, obviously that was a big deal. He was on the freshman cover along with Big Sean and J. Cole and Freddie Gibbs. You know, he was right there with the elite of new artists at that moment. But then, you know, he made a decision to step away from his major label situation and take full creative control and business control of his destiny. And um, at that point, he was really uh, doing things by his own rules. And that didn't necessarily involve 
dealing with a lot of media. You know, he did interviews, but he did them directly with video cameras, usually. He would speak directly to his fans using technology. And so, you know, um, it wasn't until 2018 that he actually released an official album. And a lot mm -hmm. of important work had been done. And, um, you know, it was just not a career that had been documented properly, you know, for all yeah. the important work that he did and all the impact that he had on business and culture and, you know, the inspiration and, and concrete opportunities that he provided for his community. Um, I just don't think he got the proper credit. So when I decided to start telling his story, um, it involved a lot of research, and a lot of, you know, going person by person and winning their confidence to share their uh, personal dealings with, with Nipsey, you know, and, and um, you know, it, it, it was a great honor for me, honestly, to speak with people like Cousy Capone or Jay Stone or you know, people who've never spoken before, like Dexter Brown, whose, whose <laughs> contribution had never really been properly understood. And so that's what I mean when I say it was challenging. And then, of course, you know, when I began the book, um, no one could have anticipated the tragedy of March 31st, uh, 2019. And, you know, with, with Nipsey's passing, that just made it even more challenging because obviously yeah, there's just, you know, so much pain and so much heartache and it, it makes people perhaps even more uh you know cautious about who they speak to and what people's motives may be um to have these conversations so i had to make very clear what my intention was and and um you know you've read the results you know uh, three years of work went into this book and um i've just been overwhelmed by the support and the the love for Nipsey Hustle that's out there and and the support for this book because I think his is a story that really needed to be told and told properly yeah. and I've done my best as a journalist to do that. Yeah, I think you did an incredible job because um, not only is the story laid out in such a detailed way, but it flows very smoothly and then there's so much inspiration literally in each chapter because there's a lot that I just didn't know. You know, I just didn't know. And the way you spoke to so many different things and something that really stood out to me was you didn't spend much time on the the tragic part of the death, which I, I really appreciated, actually. Like you didn't spend much time within that zone. It started that way and then it transitioned right out into like his life out in, in California. And I thought that that was powerful um, because I was a little nervous, honestly. When I cracked open the first chapter, I'm just like, ah, this... I don't want to go down this because I remember where I was when I heard the news. Right. So sure. I was coming home. I was coming home from a, a late night of work um, when I was working at the time. Uh, and what happened was I came home. Now, my dog, I have two Yorkies. Okay. Um, my dogs, one of the first dog we got, his name is Nipsey. Really? We actually named him. Yeah, we actually named him after Nipsey Hustle when we first got him. Um, this was over two years ago. When we wow. moved into this place and we were trying to think of a name because his original name was like um ernie or something where when we got him from his owner okay. and we were like yeah that's not going to work for our house so me and my fiance were going back and forth like all right what are we going to name this dog he's aggressive but he's laid back at the same time like he's mm. cool 
but he's a small Yorkie that's like, yo, I'll whatever dog is on the block, I want a part of it. It doesn't matter <laughs> how big you are, how smart you small you are, whatever it was, he wanted parts, but he's super laid back and, and cool. So I was like Nipsey, and she was like, let's do it. So, you know, obviously I get home from work and the passing happens. And if you have a dog, if you've ever been around dogs, you can leave for five minutes and they come up to you and they're running up to you like you've been gone for days. Yes, and a lot of love. the first thing he's jumping on me, I'm like, Nipsey, like relax. And I'm just like, oh, my goodness. Mm. And we're literally sitting in the kitchen looking at each other as if we knew Nipsey Hussle personally. Mm. And for us, it was so much deeper than the music. Um, obviously, he spoke to the culture and the things that we believe and the things we grew up in, especially me, um, growing up in the situation that I grew up in down here in South Jersey. But just his spirit of inspiring people. Like, no matter what you thought about him, you thought about the tattoos, the gang life, the music, whatever the case was, he was an inspiration to, to people, especially that younger generation. So for me, I had attached myself to him. Like me and my best friend were actually planning a trip to go out and see Vector 90, like to be oh, out there and, and check out really? the space and, and and go to the marathon store. Like we were literally about to book a ticket. Mm-hmm. And then like the week later, you know, this tragic news and we're sitting there like this can't be this can't be real. Like this doesn't even make sense. And it hit us with so much gravity. And um, something you wrote in the book was powerful. And I wrote this down. It says Ermius Ashadome. Hope I, hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. I don't want to mess that up. It's Ascadome. Um, Erm- yeah. Ascadome. Okay, okay, gotcha. Ermius Ascadome was blessed with more abilities than opportunities in life. Mm-hmm. And um, that stood out to me so much. Because I think about growing up, again, in the communities that I grew up in. I knew so many people with the ability to do great things. But the opportunities weren't there. And because the opportunities didn't present themselves, they didn't have the confidence within themselves to even go after certain things. I was blessed enough to to prevail through that, but it wasn't without just a bunch of different trials and tribulations. Like I went to nine different schools from first grade to high school. I ended up going to five different colleges, first generation high school grad, first generation college grad. Like it was a lot. But to see that and, and realize like, OK, we connect on a different level. I thought that that was powerful. Um and I want to speak a little more to that, you know, with him having so many different abilities and just being charismatic. It's like, how does someone like that come out of that environment? You know, where does that inspiration come from? And that's where I found myself really attached to Nipsey Hussle and looking to learn more. It's like, man, this dude came from some crazy circumstances, just like me, probably even worse. But for some reason in his head, there was this confidence. It's like, who was instilling that level of confidence in him? You know, so I, I want to speak a little bit to that, that confidence, because you, you've met him before. You've known him for some time. You had opportunity to spend time with him. Um, it doesn't come off as cockiness. No, you know, no, it doesn't come it. off as cockiness. No, it's it's the kind of confidence that is forged in the furnace of experience right so it's not like i can do anything i'm superman it's you know i can withstand real challenges in life and he knew that because he had gone through a lot you've read the book so you know some of those things i don't pretend to know everything this is the product of years of research, but there's many other things that, you know, are probably only known to 
his brother and him, or, you know, who knows all the obstacles that he overcame. But basically over time, that's what the marathon concept is about, right? It's the idea mm -hmm. that, you know, life is not a sprint and you don't give up just because you're not leading the race after the first lap. You know, you have to keep running laps and your competition is yourself. You know, that's the thing that I, when I really like meditated on the concept of a marathon, the marathon runner is competing only with themselves. It's not um, hmm. possible to, uh, you know, I mean, think of Usain Bolt, for instance, you know, he's a sprinter, but you know, he pushed himself. He was, he is the world's fastest man still, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. He broke world records and won Olympic gold. And then he broke his own records again, you know, like he pushed himself to continue <laughs> to run faster, you know, like at a time when other people might have just rested on their laurels. So I mentioned that because Nipsey Hussle had that same dedication and work ethic. And, you know, in the song Dedication, which you remember from the Victory Lap yep. album featuring Kendrick Lamar, he talks about, you know, how long till opportunity meets preparation. You yeah, know, and so that's, that was really the inspiration for the line that you just quoted from the book is the idea that, you know, you can be as prepared as you want to be. You can be completely, you know, not only blessed with ability, but like refine and hone those skills to a razor edge until an opportunity presents itself. You really may not get the chance to show what you can do, you know, so when that opportunity comes you've got to be ready and you've got to pounce on it and seize it and make the most of it. And I think that was the kind of uh, inspiration that Nip's whole life represents for me and for those that have read the book. You know, I mean, writing a book is a hard thing. Writing a book is a marathon yeah. also, you yeah. know, and I can't think of a more inspiring subject to be immersed in, you know, to be hearing his, his lyrics and his interviews in my headphones you know, and, and trying to kind of tell that story. Um, you know, he is a singular individual in, in hip hop. There's, there's nobody that's really embodied all aspects of this, this art form, this culture, this business, you know, and, and the potential for hip hop to uplift people and uplift a community. Like that Vector 90 place that you were going to visit you know, yeah. who else has done that, you know, and, and, you know, you can have a community center, a lot of people have built, you know, community centers, but the concept that Nip had to make it not only a shared workspace for entrepreneurs, but then to incentivize people to teach youngsters about science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, because he looked at how, okay, hip hop culture create so much value for tech companies. Look at Clubhouse, look at Twitter, look at all these. I mean, yeah. we're on YouTube and Facebook right now. You know, this is, yeah. you're, you're creating value for a tech company in this, in this, you know, you're using the platform, but the platform is also gaining its value from yeah. the audience that is following your message, you know? And so Nip understood that and he wanted more people from his community to have jobs in the technology industry and so he said how do i accomplish that how do i create opportunities for people like me you know he was a young genius he he was able to build computers from parts by reading magazine articles yeah. you know that like, was crazy <laughs> yeah so like you know he he got into hip-hop because he loved hip-hop and because the barriers to entry were not 
quite as challenging as if you were, you know, trying to get a job at Facebook or Google, you know, but there's no doubt in my mind that he could have, you know, competed on that level just through the power of his, his intellect. Um, but yeah, I mean, opportunity is a rare and precious thing. And, you know, there's an old saying, opportunity knocks but once. It, when it knocks, you know, you have to make mm. sure that you're ready. And Nipsey Hussle stayed ready. He didn't have to get ready. He stayed ready. He understood that innately. And where was that confidence from? I think he would he would credit his family first and foremost. I think he would credit uh, the example of his father, who he described as an African freedom fighter, who was you know someone who came from Eritrea uh, in East Africa to the United States, uh, seeking asylum from a, a decades long civil war, which is a tragic struggle that's still going on today between Ethiopia and Eritrea, who are two countries that share a lot culturally, but due to a kind of hangover of colonial uh, interference, you know, there's conflicts there that have taken many, many lives. And anyway, his father, though, uh, was able to start a new life in a new country and also keep his sons connected to their African heritage and took Nip and his brother Sam back to Eritrea at a pivotal moment in their development. So I think, I think Nipsey would probably credit his father and his brother as his chief inspiration for that confidence and that uh, just the resilience and the uh, determination to overcome any obstacle in his path. Yeah, yeah. And as, um, as I was reading and I kind of went back a little bit into Eritrea, learning more about that when I was reading the story, it was like, man, that was a huge turning point into who he would become. Yes. You know, he was kind of like this rough edge, super intelligent kid, a little misunderstood. But when he went there, it was as if his entire perspective on life had changed. Yeah. And he yeah. came back home. You know, it said he left as a boy. He came back as a man. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember one part in the book he was talking about. Um, I think he said swimming in the Red Sea or something. Yeah. Like, (laughs) I was like, what? He's like, yeah, you know, Moses is part of this. Like, this is crazy. And he talked about the culture of family, Mm. like how over there the value is family. But here our value is material possessions. Exactly. Exactly. Like it's the same there. Like they value family so much that it's everything, you know, but over here. Yeah, go ahead. No, it's like you you put your finger on it like, and you would think that a country which is considered less economically developed than America would be more focused on getting material resources. But in fact, it was the opposite that, you know, um, in America, what we have is a whole society built around pursuit of the almighty dollar and it creates these huge inequities. So you have, you know, Beverly Hills and you have Skid Row in the same city, you know, and you know, the the media doesn't really highlight those inequities. They just talk about the American dream, you know. But yeah. in Eritrea, you could probably, you know, get a plate of food if you need a plate of food. And your family, you know, everything stops for the family meal every day. It, you know, schools shut down, businesses shut down, people come together. And, you know, the respect for women that he learned being out in Eritrea and, you know, the way he felt about 
his cousins and and nieces and you know he he gained a completely different level of respect for women which he brought back with him and it made him reflect on the assumptions that he picked up as someone who grew up in LA in, in you know the late 80s early 90s and so um yeah it was an it was a life-changing trip that's that's literally how Nipsey described it in my last interview with him you know that trip to Eritrea was life-changing and it's a credit to again his dad who recognized that his sons were you know being strongly influenced by their environment in South Los Angeles and he wanted them to have a strong connection to his culture and to his family that was you know in East Africa and you know one of the things that i think is so powerful about that first journey is that nipsey you know he was already making music and he would go to a record shop in asmara the the capital city and tell them you know one day you're going to hear about me i'm going to be a famous rapper and sure enough the next time he returned to eritrea victory lap had come out he was grammy nominated he met with the president of Eritrea. Him and his father and his brother got VIP treatment. And the interviews that he did with uh, Eritrean national newspaper are some of the most moving and powerful ones ever because, you know, Nipsey was a very uh, intentional interviewer. Like the things that he said, he, he, he was, was always. Yeah, it seemed like he was aware that he was leaving his legacy in this way because he wasn't, he sure wasn't getting magazine covers and, you know, the sort of traditional rap star media rollout. Um, but so he gave this very detailed interview to a reporter who really didn't understand much about his life, you know, other than that mm. he had a reaching heritage and was now a successful rapper. But Nipsey gave these very thoughtful detailed answers to questions like what is rap and are gangs scary and you know just things mm. that they seem almost naive but he sees the opportunity to very patiently explain what his whole purpose of this career had been and and it's you know it's clear to me that he would have returned to Eritrea if he had been blessed with more time on earth I'm sure that he would have set up some kind of a, a foundation out there. He, he referred to uh, Eritrea as home in a number of interviews, and I think over time it would have been a place that he wanted to have an, a, an ongoing presence in. Um, but unfortunately, as we know, the, the, that was his last, you know, his second trip was the last time he was able to, to visit there. Um, but you might remember from that, um, that second visit, the reporter said that, um, you know, his rap name, Nipsey Hustle, it didn't really have any resonance for Eritrean people because it's based on an American comedian who probably isn't well-known in East yeah, Africa, yeah. Nipsey Russell. Um, and, but the, the local slang, there's a word called Nebzi, which is similar to, like, homeboy in the local um. language. And so that became the name that everyone called him by. They referred to him as Nebzi Hustle. And <laughs> it was something that the, the reporter said, do you want to correct that? You know, is that okay that we call you Nebzi? And he said, no, that's perfect. 
don't don't correct anything. That's just how I would like to be remembered. So, a, <laughs> a sweet part of the story, I think. Yeah, now that that's amazing. And um, just as someone who's watched you know a ton of interviews, probably not as much as you, obviously, um, but just watching his how charismatic he was and how respectful how respectful he was of everyone in the room. Like, oh, I remember yeah. watching him on the Breakfast Club and. He would accidentally talk over like Charlemagne the God or somebody. He'd be like, oh, yeah, my bad, my bad. And he would stop. And I was just like, it's so different as opposed to what I'm used to when I see someone who's a rapper, who's an artist, who's of that stature and that status. Um, and there were just little things, man. If you really paid attention to his life, anybody listening, you would just see different characteristics of someone who was humble, who was confident and who loved people. Yeah, And sure. those are traits that I love to embody. I'm trying to help my younger brothers embody that. I'm trying to help the youth in my community embody those things because they're being sucked in to this culture of, of disrespect, of, you know, just all these different things, low self-worth. And right. someone like Nipsey, it, it's an honor because I can model him up as someone that they can look to like, hey, look, these are the same circumstances, very similar. This is his background. You know, he looks like you. He's not suited and booted all the time. Look, the dude has tattoos on his face and cornrows. Like, this is someone that you can really aspire to to be somewhat like. And I love right. that. And I also love that he he loved to make music, but he knew he had to create other things outside of music. He was so strategic in the yeah. things that he did. He was like, I want to set up these other ventures because when I want to when I make music, I want to make it from a place where I can love what I'm making, that it's, it's of quality. Like, I don't feel right. like I have to make this to make money. And yeah. that, to me, is where the best art comes from. And I hear that all throughout the tracks on mm -hmm. Victory Lap. Mm. You can just hear from the beginning to the end. It's like, oh, he, he put out exactly what he wanted to put out. Um, and unfortunately, we didn't get, you know, further albums. But that one right there just, to me, is, is solidified in history. It's like a soundtrack no, no to doubt. so many individuals' lives and... I want to speak a little bit about, um, as I was reading the book, <laughs> again, I was learning so much about Nipsey um, as he was claiming to be the Tupac of this generation. Yeah. You yeah. know, and what I didn't know was that he performed, I want to say it was in Atlanta. Yeah, that's right. I want to say it was in Atlanta. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stone that Mountain, he performed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Can you share a little bit about that? Because that's a story I actually didn't know. Yeah, that, that was completely mind-blowing for me also. And it was just through <laughs> one of the conversations that I was blessed to have with people who you don't hear giving a lot of interviews. And I'm speaking now of Rallo Stiles, who is um, Nipsey's high school classmate and one of the very first people to collaborate with him. This is even before he went by the name Nipsey Hustle. At the time, um, Hermes Ascadome was his born name was rapping under the name Concept, which, you know, it kind of suits his persona at that time, which was really a very conscious, cerebral lyricist, you know. And, and we know, if you really listen to Nipsey's music, you know that he, that never changed about him. You know, this, no. this cliche of him as a quote-unquote gangster rapper is really just a misnomer. Um, I mean, yes, he had real-life experiences that he never hid and they're all in his music his music is very fact-based but um yeah nipsey's intention right from the start was to drop knowledge and 
So mm. Concept was his rap name, and he hopped on a track that Rallo Styles produced, which found its way to the attention of a Fanny Shakur. And, mm, wow. you know, to, to call yourself the Tupac of my generation is a really big statement. Yeah. And, you know, I asked him about it many years later with the Victory Lap album, and he gave his thoughts on it. He said, I know that's a big statement, but he did not reveal to me that he had this early connection with Afeni and Matulu Shakur, who called from behind bars during the, the car ride. So basically what happened is, wow. you know, Afeni hears the track and something about this song speaks to her and she says, fly these young men in from Los Angeles to perform at, to, at the Better Days album release event, which was one of the posthumous. Uh, one of the posthumous albums that that Afeni and the estate put out, you know, following um, Tupac's passing. And so, you know, for the first time in his life, uh, both Young Concept, a.k.a. Aramis Acidome, <laughs> a.k.a. Nipsey Hussle, and Rallo Styles hop on a plane and fly out of Los Angeles to Atlanta, where they are met at the airport by Afeni Shakur and ride in the van what? with her all the way, like, 45-minute drive to Stone Mountain, which is also a very deep location, as I break down in the book. You know, this is basically one of the... It's like the Mount Rushmore of the Confederacy. It's like the, the one of the biggest monuments to white supremacy that exists in America. They have these Confederate generals carved in a giant stone mountain there, you know. So it's a very powerful location for... Uh, Tupac Shakur album release to take place and um, and yeah so Nip uh, or Concept you know they, they spit their rhymes at this event and you know during the drive over one of the, the craziest details of the whole the whole story is that the phone rings and Fanny answers it and it happens to be uh, Tupac's stepfather Matulu Shakur calling from behind bars and he asked to speak to Aramis that's crazy. How he, why did he know, uh, you know, there were more than one artist who had flown in from L.A., but for some reason, you know, so there was, to, to Rallo Styles, who told me the story, he took this as just evidence that there was some kind of a, a destiny, a spiritual yeah. connection at work here that could not be explained. And, you know, um, I don't pretend to have all the answers but I, I i knew this was an important story to share because you know when you talk about the tupac of my generation you know there's a famous interview where tupac says um you know i may not change the world but i guarantee spark. i'm gonna spark the mind of the one you know you <laughs> yeah, know the story. yeah you know the interview right and i think no one would argue that one of the minds who one of many minds sparked by tupac was Aramis Askadome and you know for him to take up that mantle of Tupac my generation um that you know that was a big statement and he knew it was a big statement but you yeah. know he, he put some of those things into practice you know he had more time on earth than than Tupac did and he was able to actually you know translate some of the ideas into action and we see the the living legacy yeah that that's man it's almost so surreal because um, I don't believe in coincidence. You right. know, I definitely believe in like a divine timing of things. 
Mm-hmm. And just the way that that lines up, it's like, all right, this is nothing. This is nobody but God. I just want to let you guys know this is not a coincidence. This is not luck. Right. right. This is like divine. This was supposed to happen. And it makes me think, OK, like. Now that Nipsey is no longer here, you know, in the in the physical form, what is that next step? Who's going to pick up that torch? Hmm. You know what I'm saying? It makes me think of that as well. Um, yeah. And yeah. I, I do want to ask this. Right. You, as someone who's known him for quite some time, from when you first, you know, met him as the very ambitious, like, I'm trying to get out there, I'm trying to do my mm-hmm. thing. Um, I'm sure that there's many people like that, right? Especially in the music industry. Shoot, I'm like that with mm-hmm. my writing and my books and things like that. I'm like knocking on doors, I'm trying to do this. I, I aspire to be a New York Times bestselling author someday, you know, and I'm just like, I'm moving, 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 moving while nobody's really believing. So from meeting him in that aspect to seeing this victory lap era, um, just talk a little bit about the inspiration, like how that inspired you to see this young man come in at that age and, and really aspire for these things and then achieve them. Like, I know that that had to be true inspiration for you, especially you personally knowing him. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, I mean, you know, I've been blessed, as I mentioned in the beginning of our conversation, to witness many people who have defied incredible odds to elevate themselves in ways that the world would never have imagined. I mean, when, when we did our first profile of Puffy in, in Vibe, just as it was going to press, we learned that he had been fired from his job at Uptown Records, and we had to hurry up and change the last paragraph of the story and say that, you know, well, as we went to press, Andre Harrell decided to, you know, to let Sean Combs go from his position, but he's getting ready to start this new thing called Bad Boy Records, and, you know, we saw what that became, you know. So there's always these amazing stories in hip-hop, but there's something very, very different and very singular about what Nipsey Hussle is able to do. And, and I, the example that I would give is, you know, um, even before Victory Lab, when he came out with that Crenshaw mixtape, you know, yeah. in 2013, and had the audacity to sell physical copies of a, a free mixtape for $100 a CD, you know, wow. a limited edition mixtape. And he had people saying, you're crazy. Who do you think you are? You know, some of the people that were poking fun at him on social media, you know, I'm sure he just took it all as motivation, right? And then on the night, they sold $100,000 worth of CDs in one night, you know. And 10000 of those dollars were wired by Jay-Z into his account. It's you know? crazy. So, I mean, this is what you call vindication. You know, if people doubted you, you can just throw it right back in their face. So um, the results speak, right? The demonstration beats conversation. That's something that, that Nipsey always said. And um, Yeah, it was tremendously inspiring and it was also very amusing for me because I happened to be at Complex at that moment in my career and Complex had recently published one of those um, trademark like snarky lists that they like to do where it was like you know the the top underachieving rappers which I guess the idea is like you know we love you but you haven't dropped any projects in a while so what's taking so long kind of thing you know it's just like some slick shit that they did so 
yeah. for the record, I was not a part of that list. I was an editor at Complex, but you know, not in the music department at that point in my journey within Complex. Anyway, they did the list. Nipsey was on this list along with you know, other people that really shouldn't be in the same category as him, right? And mm. I'm sure he was irritated by the list, but he didn't say anything. But then when Crenshaw dropped and suddenly the whole industry is like, oh, you, you're a genius. You know, Jay-Z bought 100 of your, of your CDs and wired you $10,000 and, you know, you changed the game, which he did. Um, but then, so one of my colleagues at Complex emailed him an interview request that day and was like, you know, we're big fans and we'd love to interview you. And that was when Nip was like, fuck Complex, 10 racks for an interview or stop emailing my management. And I just thought it was hilarious because, you know, I know the, uh, the, the writer who emailed him is a really genuine Nipsey fan. I don't think he knew about that snarky list but you know from nipsey's perspective it's just the height of hypocrisy like how can you yeah, this yeah. on this list and now you're big fans and you want you know so he that interview if you go back and read is a classic because unlike most interviews that nip did he was actually a little you know more irritated than normal at, in the conversation and caused him to kind of speak with extra passion and he said some very forceful statements that I think really was a direct line from that conversation to the record that is you know the first single off of Victory Lab you know I ain't nothing like you fucking rap yeah yeah you know and you know he was making that statement you can't compare me you can't put me in the same category, category as yeah. artists that don't have the type of real life responsibilities that I have not just in terms of running businesses but you know going through real things in the streets of Los Angeles and like standing behind your work as a member yeah. of the neighborhood and and I want to say one more thing too because you mentioned before about you know even in your opening video montage it's very well done I want to compliment you on that because you distill Thank some you. Com complex concepts in that and you know, this idea of like challenging negative perceptions and stereotypes and, and, and championing, you know, the, the resilience and the people that overcome difficult situations. You know, one of the big things that I struggled with in putting this book together was this perception that, you know, to the extent that people knew anything about Nipsey Hussle, uh, in the rap industry, in the media, especially New York rap media, what they knew was, okay, he's really in the streets, he's really about that life, he's from, you know, the rolling 60s, and, you know, these kinds of things, these, these um, sound bites that attach themselves to him. And, you know, I noticed when he did his Victory Lap uh, media rollout in New York, he went to, you know, one of the biggest rap radio stations in the world, you know, the leading rap radio station in New York, and and one of the biggest personalities on that station said to him, you know, this is actually the first album of yours that I've ever sat with, you know, and this is an mm. artist that's like 10 projects yeah, yeah. at that point, some very important records. But, so it's just like there was this disconnect. I don't think people gave him his props. I don't think people understood really what he was about. But so what I was struggling with was on the one hand, there's this perception of him. And then we know that 
He's someone that built a computer from parts. We know that his ideas about business and marketing, the $100 tape, for instance, completely changed the music industry. Like Artists like um, Justin Bieber and Taylor Swift are using that exact same strategy right now. You know, they sell what is called a bundle. So they, you know, when they put out their big album, they offer it to their super fans a little bit early and they bundle it with tickets to, you know, VIP tickets to their next tour. And that's the same Mm. idea that Nip had. He said, I'm going to have a live show for my super core fans and ask them to support me. A hundred dollars won't be too much. So that is literally a standard playbook in the music industry now that came from Nipsey Hussle reading books and thinking about his career and how to extract value at a time that the music industry was really imploding right before everyone's eyes and the greatest minds in the entertainment business were all trying to figure this out. But this individual came up with one of the most powerful and effective strategies. So how do you reconcile that? Like, who is he? Is he a genius or is he you know this this gangster rapper cliche and i think we have to just really step back and look at these terms that we have been educated or miseducated about in american pop culture and in the media like who are the real gangsters you know i mean yeah, we just yeah. had a, you know <laughs> january 6th we had a, a violent coup attempt in washington yeah. dc that was led by a group called the Proud Boys. You know, one of the founders of the Proud Boys was a founder of Vice Media, so multi-million dollar media corporation that, you know, has outlets on major TV networks. And somehow these groups are not called gangsters, you know, but a group in South Los Angeles that you know, when you start to look at the history, and that's one of the things, you know, in the first couple chapters of the book, especially, there's a lot of LA history and a lot yeah, of yeah. context, you know, because I, I thought it was very important to lay out what I learned. You know, I didn't know all this stuff when I started to write the book. I, I educated myself through the process of writing it because I wanted to really know what I was saying when I say gangs in LA. What does that mean? Well, there was a gang called the Spook Hunters, which was a mm, white racist gang mm-hmm. that was very cool with the LAPD. And together, they enforced these boundaries that black families were expected to, you know, be constricted by. And, you know, the Spook Hunters were terrorizing black students trying to go to school or, you know, wow. intimidating their families who might dare to, you know, look at a house outside of the the areas that, you know, this official policy called redlining was mm-hmm. limiting people from getting loans and insurance policies if they were not white families. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff to unpack when you start to talk about gangs and you realize that groups like the Slossons, who predate the Black Panthers and predate the Crips and the Bloods, you know, the Slossons and other early black gangs in LA were basically community defense organizations. You know, they, they were necessary for, you know, uh, families that were growing up with the LAPD and the spook hunters running around causing trouble. 
So, you know, there's a lot of things that get left out of the narrative when you talk about, you know, like, like most Americans, I saw Boys in the Hood, I saw, you know, Death Row videos, and that was yeah. a big part of my education or miseducation of what it meant to be in a gang in L.A. And so I tried mm. to dig a little deeper in this book and present the half that has not been told. Yeah, I can appreciate that, too, because you did dive deep into the history to supply that context. Um, because, again, there's a prejudgment of he's a gangster rapper. Yep. He talks about guns and women and, and how they did this with the drugs and this, this and this. But there's a lot that's missing as well for you to yep. really understand who this individual was, who he right. was as a kid, as a teenager, as a young adult, who he was right before his passing. And then a lot of people judge what they don't understand and they don't seek right. to understand as well. You know, right, it's even and, the same with, yeah, go ahead. No, but like, to your point, he goes through a journey, like he decides to join the 60s for a bunch of reasons that I, yeah, I remember to that. address, yep. you know, but then as he begins to understand that there are parts of the lifestyle that just don't make sense anymore, and even the OGs aren't really giving the, the young the tiny lokes as as he refers to himself in in some of his records you know mm -hmm. they're not getting the right advice from the older generation because the rules were different then the technology was different you didn't have cell phone towers that would like immediately link you to the location yeah, of the crime or you know the hidden cameras and whatever so when he learned that this was just not a viable way to live he began sharing that in his interviews, in his music, and tried to influence as many members from inside the set as he could to find a new way, to live a different way. And you talk to people like Pac-Man the Gunman and BH, mm -hmm. who literally, their lives were transformed by knowing Nipsey Hussle, you know, and there's many mm -hmm. others that you could say, you know, the, the employment opportunities, legitimate businesses that he opened, and creating options for people to step out of a destructive lifestyle into something more constructive, you know, this is the part that needs to be uplifted. And that and this is why, you know, the city of Los Angeles celebrated Nipsey Hussle the way they did. And, you know, for a yeah. lot of people who have read this book, I've had this conversation with many people that said, I had never heard of him until the Staples Center Memorial. You know, and, and, and that's why I opened the book with that memorial, which to your point, I didn't want to make this book about a tragedy. It was never intended to be about that. You know, I started this book before the tragedy of March 31st, and, you know, I didn't want it to get sidetracked into this kind of a negative, perpetuating, you know, destructive thing, because, you know, we're, the people who came out to celebrate Nipsey at the Staples Center were celebrating his life and his yep. legacy. And that's what the Marathon Don't Stop is all about. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, man, there's so many other questions I want to ask, but I want to respect your time. Because <laughs> I have right, so much ahead. I want to unpack, man. I have so much I want to unpack. But um, go ahead. just a few more things, because as I think about his life and I think about someone who made an impact within the community, it's like who else was better equipped to work within the inner workings of that city, within those gangs, within that community, than Nipsey Hussle to inspire. Like I've seen what it's like on this side and I realized like, okay, this isn't the answer. While I'm still involved in this, let me go ahead and, and, and inspire my homies as well and show them like, yep. hey, we can do this a legit way. 
you know, I, we've done it this way together. We've been to shootouts together. We've been through all of this. Let me show you a legit way. And ne- let me not just talk about it, but let me do it. So mm-hmm. I'm a huge, like, action person. It's something about yeah. me. It's like a pet peeve of mine with people who talk about doing something and they never even take the first step to accomplish it. He was very, very intentional about putting people on. Yeah. It wasn't like, okay, I got to do me. And if I bring somebody else up, I might lose. Mm-mm. You know, I remember um, Kendrick Lamar had made a song called Black Boy Fly. And he talks yeah. about like being um, somewhat envious of like the game and Aaron to follow. And he's like, I thought they were going to be the last ones to make it out, mm-hmm. you know, and I had that envy there and I had to learn. But I think about, you know, Nipsey and how he was doing his thing. He was so confident in what he was doing. But at the same time, he wanted to uplift everybody around him and like, look, if we can partner, if we can do this and it makes sense. I want you to win with me. Like, I don't want to be the only one winning on this mountaintop. I don't want to lord over anybody. Um, And that's inspiring to me. And that's a lesson that can be directly passed down to the youth. And this book, man, this book is a is a resource. That's how I see it as a resource. And I'm going to get a few more copies to send out to a few teenagers. Um, I know they just graduated high school. Um, But I see this as a um, yeah, no, no, absolutely. Thank you for, you know the blood, sweat, and tears that went into this because this is going to to live far past us. And I believe that we learn and we're inspired through stories. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I truly believe that. And this right here is going to change someone's life. Um, so I want to ask you, you know, with this being a resource, um, what what's, what's next? Like, what, what's the intention for this book? And what's also next for, for Rob Kenner? Well, the intention for the book is exactly what you just said, is for it to change people's lives, expand their minds, whether they are living in the same type of circumstances that birthed Nipsey Hussle or whether they have never thought about the realities of those circumstances. You know, um, we all have a lot to learn. We're living in a very, very deeply divided society in America and in the world, yeah. but you know, Nipsey Hussle was a uniter and not a divider. And that's one of the lessons that I took away from a song like FDT, where mm-hmm. you know, Remember that. Y, YG and, and Nip came together, you know, from different sets, from, you know, different, uh, you know, blood and crib sets, and also, you know, uniting the essays, you know, the black and brown in the streets of LA, because they saw a political force that was trying to divide people, that was all about, you know, sowing the seeds of discord and division and racial strife, and I think it's important to remember that Nipsey Hussle was a uniter, so I want this book to affect the thought processes of people from all walks of life. I think this is a story that American people need to learn about. I think it should be taught in schools, not just because this book should be taught in school, but that story. And, you know, this is the best that I've seen so far of setting down the basic facts of why Nipsey Hussle is so misunderstood and is so important. You know, um, I mean, I was finishing the book during 2020 which is one of the most horrifying years that the planet, that humanity has ever gone through, you know, and I'm not only talking about the pandemic, I'm talking about all of the racial strife in America 
I'm talking about the police murders and, you know, the George Floyd and, and so many. I mean, you know all the names and, and we saw yeah. the, the uprising here in this country. And, you know, it seems like a lot of the, that still has not been properly resolved. You know, we just had a Juneteenth holiday over the past weekend. And, yeah. you know, um, a holiday is a, a symbolic thing and you know it has some value if, if people use it as such but you know there's a lot more real reform that needs to happen and and Absolutely. not only in government but in our minds and in the way we relate to each other and, you Speak know fun. so that's what this book is for and i you know i i know nipsey to have been an avid reader and so my goal was to make it a book that would be worthy of inclusion in one of his reading lists, you know, something that he might mm. have, even if it wasn't about him, just something that he would be sparked by enough to recommend it to his close friends and family as he did so many yeah. other great books. So that's, that's my intention for the book. Um, what's next for me, I'm still really absorbed in the conversations that have been sparked by the book. I've been asked to speak to teachers and students at Howard University and Stanford That's University. That's what's up. And yeah. yeah, it's just been a lot of really great conversation and like what we're doing tonight. And so I'm fully engaged in that for the foreseeable future. And um, there are certainly other ideas that I have and other projects I'd like to work on, but I can't really focus on anything right now apart from this book. And I wanted to, you know, be read widely and shared and you know and as I've mentioned I'm, I'm donating proceeds from the book to Nipsey's family and so I'd like to see Respect. you know a, a substantial contribution go to them so I'm, I'm working very hard to promote the book man I just want to say thank you first and foremost um, just for everything that you've you've done you've contributed um, the way you're getting this message out and your heart behind this. Um, I think motives are super important. And just being able to have this conversation with you, um, it's very evident that your motives are pure. And that means a lot to me because I'm someone with like super pure motives. Um, and you've inspired me along with Nipsey Hustle, but just knowing you for this very short period of time, you've inspired me in some incredible ways, especially as someone who's a, a young, you know, author myself and, and, mm -hmm just looking to do so many different things. You've inspired me and you've also um, affirmed that I'm moving in the right direction with well, the message, with helpful. the intentions. I, that's always <laughs> helpful to know you're on the right path. I know anyone in a creative field, we question ourselves all the time. So all the time, if I, if I was able to do that, I, I'm very happy. All the time. Yeah. So I just, again, I wanted to thank you for that. And I want to close out with a few things. Um, I'm huge on quotes. I love mm -hmm. quotes. So in my iPhone, I keep like, anytime I hear a quote that speaks to me, I just jot it down real quick and I keep it. And one of my favorite quotes um, from Nipsey Hussle, and it may be, it, I don't believe it's, it's his original quote, but I heard it from him first. So mm -hmm. he, he said the highest human act is to inspire. And I've actually made that like my email, like tagline at the bottom. Um, I received one of those emails. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the highest human act is is to inspire. I don't know if it's professional or not, but I love it. So I put it on there. But I'm putting you on the spot here. What's a a quote that speaks to you, something that you live by? 
Um, this one is not from the world of rap, but it's one that um, is a person who has a like-minded intention to Nipsey Hussle. He's a, a thinker, philosopher, and designer named Buckminster Fuller, um, who invented things like the geodesic dome that you see on playgrounds, but it's also, yeah. he meant it as like affordable housing and just a, a really deep thinker um and it's a short quote but it's a powerful one he would always say whenever there was a a situation where he planned something uh you know elaborate plans that fell through he would always say you can't learn less and the point is mm, that is that you know like as it. long as long as you take the lesson of this setback as long as you you know put your ego aside and try to learn what the mistake has to teach you you have learned something in failure you know and mm -hmm. this this really connects to the same marathon mindset you know that each setback is just a speed bump it's not a brick wall and you're gonna you're gonna pick up the lesson and apply it going forward so I I use that a lot in moments of disappointment or setbacks when you're tempted like i said before we question ourselves all the time especially people who are walking a, a, an unconventional path if you will you know nobody gave yeah. you a job application to fill out to be a, a hip-hop journalist you know you you just make <laughs> your path right and yeah. um so in those moments of a setback i always say well you can't learn less and I'm going to learn everything mm. I can from this experience like and Take try to carry it, you know, carry it forward. Yeah, I like that. I'm definitely writing that one in my my uh, my quotes list. You can't learn less. Yeah, that's it's small. It's, it's, it's short, but it's, it's it hits. Yeah, I like that a lot. I like that a lot. So I'm going to finish off with this last question here before I let you go. Um, as you know, the name of the show is Change What We Normalize. It's yeah. something that I live by. Um, and for me, this quote was birthed out of a need to see change and impact within my community. I was at a um, Stop the Violence walk a few years ago, and it was a really like crazy um, like spring slash summer in Atlantic City, New Jersey, where mm -hmm. teens were getting killed left and right. And at the end of it, there was a young teenage girl who had got caught in a crossfire of everything. And it was literally like back to back killings like every week. Like it was insane. And we just unfortunately had another um, broad daylight shooting and killing of two young teens this past, I want to say like two or three days ago. Um, so we're going out in the city to do some work and, and really getting in the community. But change what we normalized came from that. They had asked me to speak at this march, at this rally. And I don't know where it came from, but in my mind, it just popped out of me like, look, we need to change what we normalize because we had normalized showing up on these occasions to do these walks, to show up when somebody gets killed, to show up to these funerals. But we weren't getting together as a community to really make an impact outside of, hey, let's march down the street when the press comes to take photos. Like, where are we at when nobody's here, when these kids are in need, when things right. are going wrong? So it, it was birthed out of a frustration to see change. And then I realized that change what we normalize can literally um, relate to any aspect of life, you know, all the way to, you know, your health and fitness. You don't like the way you look, you change what you normalize. What right. you do is normal. And it's, it's, it's speaking and it's an ode to whatever was normal that wasn't working. We want to change that. 
So when you hear that quote, change what we normalize, uh, what does that mean to you? Well, I first of all, I just want to compliment you on the power of that phrase because it's a very uh, impactful thought pattern that you've laid out, you know, because we do we do become creatures of habit. And it's just yeah. like what I was saying about this perception of what it means to be a gangster rapper or what gangs even are about. You know, the normalization process occurs through the media and through pop culture and it's reinforced by education and by, you know, friends and just, you know, things that become recycled and then we never question where they came from in the first place and so yeah i guess that's what is so powerful about the slogan and the title of your of your podcast is that um you know realizing that we have the power to change what we normalize it's not just yeah the way things are you know i mean you know there's that famous song it's like that and that's the way it is right but you know we can change what we normalize and you know it starts with that intention and realizing that you know humans make up these rules and they're not descended yeah, yeah. from mount you know mount sinai on on stone tablets so you know <laughs> i mean i was having this conversation just uh recently with a, a writer who's working on a really interesting article um it'll be i'm sure it'll be coming out soon and i'll share it when it comes out but he was looking at this idea of like what um you know when did hip-hop become really focused on like this idea like it's all about the benjamins you know because mm. there used to be a concept of like selling out you know like that was a bad yeah. thing if you were a sellout and you know the assumption was that we weren't motivated by money we could be mindful of money but money is not the sole motivation right so um you know, in the process, I brought up Nipsey because, you know, of course, he has the, the, the business called All Money In, No Money Out. And mm -hmm. that's different than uh, saying it's all about the Benjamins. You know, like there are a lot of other motivations for him besides, you know, just personal wealth. Right. He was mm -hmm. trying to uplift his community. He was trying to inspire people who might not believe that opportunities were ever going to come to them, you know, might not believe they had options for constructive lifestyle, you know, and so um, changing what we normalize is really important when you think about, you know, what Nipsey Hussle's whole living legacy is, you know, he, mm. he was definitely about all money in, no money out, but you know, sure. It was what he was going to do with that money and how he was going to spread it around. And, yeah. You know, um, and very often this um, paper chasing, securing the bag thing kind of gets oversimplified to the point of just like super capitalism and, you know, screw everybody else. I'm just going to get mine. And, and yeah. you know, I think it would be great if that impulse could, you know, if Nipsey's vision of economic empowerment could be the one that is normalized and you know to me that's the true impulse behind hip-hop that's what hip-hop was really about was like creating great wealth and great opportunity out of a life and a, 
a part of the world that was considered marginalized at best or, you know, hopeless. And, you know, look at the Bronx and in the 70s yeah. and, you know, and the landscape that these young people came together and created hip hop in. And, you know, that's what's so inspiring about it. That's why we're still, you know, celebrating hip hop a half a century later, you know? Yeah. So, I, I'm giving you a long answer, but it's a powerful. No, no, no. Title. I appreciate it. You know what you, you. what you have have focused in on is a really powerful idea, and um, you know I, I I hope that you continue to push that agenda and, and cause people to just think twice about the assumptions that they make about everything, and you know they'll they'll live a more aware and self aware life, you know, with with knowledge of self, and that's the most powerful thing that you can have oh man thank you um one the answer was great um and just sharing your insight and it was an honor again to just have you on here this evening and um just hearing you know your insights and your stories and background and inspiration i'm sure that people are going to grab so many different gems um from this episode and i'm excited to build upon this relationship as well even outside of just this um I'm honored to to just have that connection with you. And I look forward to building upon, again, that relationship. So before we close out, uh, Rob, where can people find you uh, via social media, websites, and things like that? It's Robert J. Kenner on Instagram, Robert J. Kenner on Twitter, and robertjkenner.com is the website. So um, tap in. The link in my bio has the interviews and links to purchase the book download the ebook the audiobook and um this interview will be on there as soon as you share the link with me so you know the marathon don't stop and long <laughs> nipsey hustle absolutely man absolutely again rob thank you so much for joining me on the change will be normalized podcast i look forward to building to you or building with you um for everybody that tuned in we appreciate you again share like comment um, this will be available on all platforms. And I thank y'all for just being loyal supporters and supporting this mission uh, to change what we normalize, y'all. And um, in the words of Nipsey Hussle, the highest human act is to inspire. So I want you all to take that from this episode and live an inspired life and live a courageous life. Be bold. If you not- took nothing from this, be bold. We have one time here from what we know. Um, so don't allow anybody to slow you down. As he talked about, Nipsey had his oppositions. He had his challenges. I'm sure you had yours. I've had mine. The person listening, you've had yours. Remain resilient. Continue to believe in yourself. Continue to hold on to that vision and cherish that vision and see it through. The The marathon does not stop unless you stop it. So I'm encouraging you and I'm begging you to not stop. Stay inspired and live an inspired life. And with that being said, we are out of here and I'll see you on the next episode of the Change What We Normalize podcast.